Well, hey there, guys, and welcome to the John Campia Podcast. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and this is my daily show here on my YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, if you saw the podcast yesterday, you know I mentioned that, hey, guys, I need to get out of here kind of soon because I'm going to see a 10 a.m. screening of Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets, right? Okay, so I skedaddle out of here. I leave at 8.30 in the morning because the screening, I live in Burbank, okay? And the screening is at a theater called the AMC Century City 15, which is out near Santa Monica, basically. It's, it's, now it's distance wise. It's not that far away. It's actually fairly close. However, in LA traffic, trying to get out to the West End, I had to figure about an hour and a half of driving. So I leave at about 8.30 and I get there at about quarter to 10. I think, okay, perfect. I'm just in time. So I park in this giant parking structure, walk through this big mall and get to the AMC Century City 15. And I walk in, I'm like, huh, that's funny. Usually at these press screenings, there's a check-in table. There's a sign-in table for press. It's not there. And then I realize I'm in the wrong frickin' theater. The theater that the press screening was actually at was at the Universal, the AMC Universal City Walk, which is only like a 15-minute drive from where I live. And for some reason, it was right there in the invitation, and for some reason, the wires in my brain got mixed up, and I ended up spending like two and a half hours on the road yesterday, totally missed the screening of Valerian. That's why you didn't see me get a uh, movie review of Valerian up yesterday. Now, fortunately, the PR people with the movie are really great and really accommodating, so they're getting me in. I'm going to go see the premiere, actually, on Monday, so I get to go to the actual premiere. That's going to be great, so I will have my review for Valerian probably up on Tuesday morning, either really, really late Monday night, more likely Tuesday morning is when I will finally get uh, that up, because once again, I'm stupid, Uh, can't seem to read a simple email. You know what's funny? They even sent the morning of... Yesterday morning, they sent me a free parking pass for the Universal City Walk, and yet I still didn't see it. All I had in my head was AMC Century City, and I ended up spending two and a half hours in the car yesterday. Yeah, so that's uh, that was wonderful. Um, hey, so i got a few things I want to talk about on the podcast today. Last night, I put up a video on my YouTube channel, and if you're listening to this uh, via podcast feed, uh, check out my YouTube channels at youtube.com slash John Campia. And I put up a, a video last night about the fact that Warner Brothers, according to a report in The Hollywood Reporter, okay, so this is all going based on a report that The Hollywood Reporter did, claiming that Suicide Squad now has a brand new frontrunner to be the director of Suicide Squad 2. Now, they've had names like Mel Gibson. I was really excited about the idea of Mel Gibson uh, possibly directing it. Levine was a possible director. Espinosa was a possible director. There's some really cool names that were being bandied about for uh, Suicide Squad 2 because, of course, David Ayer can't or isn't going to do Suicide Squad 2. He's moved on to Gotham City Sirens. So they've been looking for a director. And Hollywood Reporter puts out this report saying that the new frontrunner is this director by the name of Jemay Colette Serra. Now, uh, go and watch the video. I, I explain it more fully, but I'll just kind of highlight it here. My problem with this director choice is need versus what the director, what does the movie need versus what the, what does the director bring to the table? If you take Wonder Woman out of the equation and take Wonder Woman out, the three DCEU movies so far, Man of Steel, which you know I adore, Batman versus Superman and Suicide Squad, both of which I gave positive reviews to, but those films, the DCEU, 
has struggled to get universal approval amongst the fans. The movies have been divisive. I mean, we talk about that a lot, right? So all those films before Wonder Woman, because Wonder Woman knocked it out of the park, but before Wonder Woman, the DCEU films have been really divisive. They, they failed to get the vast majority of the audience to get on board with them and love them. So you would think that in looking for a director for Suicide Squad 2, they would try to find a director who has had some success with, it doesn't have to have a perfect resume, not at all, but you'd think that given the needs that DC has, that they would go out and want to find a director that has some success at making a couple of movies that did get widespread audience approval, widespread universal, uh, you know, audience love and critic love and stuff like that. At least have a couple of examples on their resume of films like that, that they could, that they've done because that's really what DC wants. They want a film to just like Wonder Woman. They cracked it out of the park with Wonder Woman and getting that widespread audience approval and widespread critic approval. You'd like to follow that up. And instead it seems like if the report in the Hollywood reporters to be believed, it looks like they're getting this guy, uh, Jimmy Collette Sarah. And he is an experienced director. It's not like he's some newcomer who's getting, who's looking to get a chance. He's made lots of movies. However, as I pointed out in my video, all the movies, the biggest audience rating out of any of his movies was 63%. Most of them are in the fifties or lower the very definition of the problem that the DCEU is having. So to me, it's not that Colette Serra is a bad director. Don't get me wrong at all. If he was directing, if they announced that he was directing just some other average film coming out, I'd say, hey, yeah, let's see what this guy can do. But considering that the DCEU's needs are to, you know, nail that film that has a widespread universal approval to follow up on Wonder Woman, to go out and get a director who's done everything but make a movie that has widespread audience approval seems really backwards thinking. It seems very odd. So look, it's just a report. I mean, there were reports a long time ago that Mel Gibson was going to direct it and that didn't work out. So maybe he's not going to direct it and they'll go back to one of the other directors they looked at or they'll move forward and get another director on board. Who knows? It's just for me, when I look at it, the needs of the franchise versus what does this director bring to the table? It seems like a completely wrong fit. So anyway, I encourage you go check out that video of mine. And again, I want to reemphasize, I, I don't dislike Jamey Collette Sarah, not at all. Actually, a couple of his films that have been fan divisive, I've actually enjoyed a couple of his films. Um, you know, I liked The Shallows. I liked uh, Orphan. There's a couple of films that I liked. It's just that when you're looking at the needs of the franchise, it doesn't seem like this director is what's going to bring in a certain tool set that's going to meet those needs. So I just found that very odd. So anyway, that's the first thing I want to talk about today. All right, let's move on to the next thing I want to talk about today. So Charlize Theron, by the way, speaking of Charlize Theron, I went out last night and watched Atomic Blonde. The movie is under embargo. I cannot talk about it. I'll just say that I'm very excited to, to review the film. But Charlize Theron, speaking of her, she just did an interview with Variety. And during the interview, the... They asked her about the possibility in which she want to do another Mad Max film, perhaps a Furiosa movie. And Charlize Theron said this. She said, I would love to. This is her direct quote. I'd love to. There were three scripts. They were written as backstories to Max's character and to Furiosa's character. But at the end of the day, this thing lives and breathes with George Miller. I think Warner Brothers knows that. And we're all waiting for him to show us the way. So here, so what happened was... Charlie's Theron makes those comments. 
And which is great. I mean, I, I liked Mad Max uh, Fury Road very much. I know a lot of you guys did. It was uh, kind of a triumph for George Miller. So, and a lot of people were talking about either a sequel or a standalone Furiosa film. And there was a lot of talk after the movie came out, but everything's been like dead quiet ever since. Like really, there's been no news, no movement, no anything on it. I mean, a couple of little interviews where Miller says, oh yeah, I've got a script coming together and that kind of falls away. And we just don't know where we sit. But anyway, so a bunch of the, the sites run the headlines like, Charlize Theron wants to do another Mad Max movie. And to me, those stories, X actor wants to do X big popular movie. To me, those stories are kind of redundantly nonsensical because really uh, an actor who makes their living and gets their paychecks by being in movies and they get bigger notoriety and bigger paychecks for being in popular movies. And this actor is saying she wants to do another one. Really? Wow. That's newsworthy. I just always find these stories really weird or like such and such actor says they'd love to do a Star Wars movie. Of course they'd love to do a Star Wars movie. Such and such an actor wants to be in a big popular movie. Of course they do. They all do. It's their job. So I just kind of found that funny. Now I would love for them to make another Mad Max film or a Furiosa film. But like I said, the more time that passes, I mean, the clock is not stopping. The clock continues ticking. And I feel like the longer and the more time that passes that we don't get any movement on another Mad Max film or a Furiosa film, I feel like it's less and less likely we're going to actually get one. So I don't know. What do you think? You think we're actually going to get one in the next couple of years? Jump down to the comment section. And let me know your thoughts. Uh, another piece of news that came out yesterday that I thought was really kind of interesting was it's being reported that Quentin Tarantino, the Quentin Tarantino, is looking at his next project as being about Charles Manson and the Manson family. Now, this to me screams Oscar contender. First of all, a movie about the, the Manson family and Charlie Manson and all that kind of stuff. That's just gold right there. A movie by Quentin Tarantino is gold right there. A Quentin Tarantino movie about the Charlie Manson story is Oscar bait, like right out of the gate Oscar bait. Now, Apparently, there's already been discussions with Brad Pitt and uh, Jennifer Lawrence to possibly star in it. There's also been some reports that uh, Tarantino has talked with Margot Robbie about possibly appearing in the film as well, or perhaps in the Jennifer Lawrence role or whatever. Nothing has been locked down. They're shopping the film around right now for a studio and a distributor, and we'll see how that kind of turns out. All I know is this, is that Tarantino doing a Charlie Manson film sounds like absolute gold. <clears throat> I'm not going to bore you with details, but if you don't know anything about the Charles Manson story and, you know, the Manson family, all that kind of stuff, just hop on YouTube, hop on Wikipedia, hop around, find it. It's a fascinating, it's tragic and it's heartbreaking and it's terrible, but it's also completely fascinating that this was a, this isn't fiction. This Charles Manson dude was real. He is real. He's in prison today. And this whole story is a real story. And it sounds like it's too like wild to make up, but it's absolutely true. So do some reading up on it and tell me you don't get super excited about the idea of that movie being directed by Quentin Tarantino. I dare you. So anyway, go check that out. Okay. The last thing I want to talk about today before I get to the emails is Amazon has put out the first trailer for their upcoming rebooted series, The Tick. Now I'm going to tell you, I love The Tick. I love the comics. The comics are probably the funniest comics, the Tick comics and Milk and Cheese. If you haven't read either the original Tick comics 
or Milk and Cheese Dairy Gone Bad. I highly encourage you to look them up because they are the funniest shit you're going to read. Those are the two funniest comic books I've ever read. And then they did the animated series of The Tick, and I thought it was really funny. And then they did the live-action Tick, which I only think made it one season, I think. Anyway, it starred the guy from Seinfeld, Putty from Seinfeld. Anyway, and I thought that show was actually really clever and really cool, too. Suffered from a really low budget, so there's only so much they could do. But I thought it was really cool. Anyway, been excited to see what Amazon could do with The Tick. And you know what? The trailer didn't blow my socks off, okay? I wasn't rolling on the floor with laughter, but I got to say it's pretty solid. I thought it was a pretty solid trailer, so mark down The Tick as one of the movies that I'm looking forward to. All right, let's move on to the thoughts, opinions, topics, and questions that you guys have sent in to me. How do you send something to me? It's simple. Just email me anytime at thejohncampiapodcast at gmail.com. Also, make sure you're following me on social media on Twitter and on Facebook by just following me there at John Campia, because every once in a while I put out a call for topics and questions there as well. So let's get down to it. The first question today comes to us from Frank Calderon, who writes... Hey, John, I love the podcast. My question to you is, what is the latest on a Matthew Vaughn-directed Man of Steel sequel? He is my first choice for this, and I hope he is still in the running. If he doesn't get the gig, however, who would you like to see come in and direct it? My second choice is J.A. Bayona, who has publicly stated what a fan of the character he is. Yeah, so back in March, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, uh, director Matthew Vaughn, it was reported, was he was in talks to take on and direct Man of Steel 2. Matthew Vaughn is an incredible director. X-Men First Class, Stardust. He's done a bunch of really great films. Anyway, so a lot of people, including myself, were really excited by that news because I'm a big fan of Man of Steel and getting one of the best directors out there right now to come in and do the sequel. Nothing but good news. However, everything's been dead quiet on the Man of Steel 2 front. And, you know, I know I mentioned this thing a lot, but it really does need to be brought up again and again to keep everything in perspective. It wasn't that long ago that Warner Brothers executives came out and said, we've decided to take our foot off the gas. We're going to slow down for a minute and and let Justice League come out. And then we're going to decide where we're at. Now, they're in production of Aquaman, yes. But they said, we're going to not rush right now. We want to get Justice League out in theaters. And then once it's out in theaters and we see how the audience reacts to it, We're going to decide how to proceed. So we're taking our foot off the gas. Now, with comments like that, it's not really surprising that we haven't heard anything more about the Matthew Vaughn's involvement. I have a feeling, I'm not basing this on anything. I'm just saying I have a feeling that the Matthew Vaughn thing probably fell through. I have a feeling that they were in talks all the way back in March that if they had locked him in, we probably would have heard of it by now. But at the same time, maybe they did sign a deal. Maybe they did lock him down and they just said, hey, look. We're going to want to get Justice League out. We're going to just, we're going to stay quiet about this for now. Then once Justice League comes out and we have a clearer picture of where we're going, then we'll make the announcement. So that's always possible. It's possible that Matthew Vaughn's already signed on. I, I'm just saying though, I have a feeling that perhaps that thing fell through because I, because I feel like we would have heard about it by now. Now, as far as if that falls through, who else would I like to see direct it? And I'm just going to give you the same answer I give every time. I honestly don't care that much. 
All I care about is, look, there are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of really good, talented directors out there. Just give me a director who's a really good, talented director. And if you do that, then I'm super happy. That's all I need. It doesn't have to be this guy. It doesn't have to be Christopher Nolan. It doesn't have to be Tarantino. It doesn't have to be Peter Jackson. It doesn't have to be Peter Spielberg. It doesn't have to be J.A. Bayona. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be any of those guys. Just give me a director out there who is a good, solid, talented director, and I'll be happy, honestly. I just really want to see Man of Steel too. I've been waiting for a follow-up to that, because look, I know there's a lot of people who don't like this particular incarnation of Superman. For myself, all I can say is that I think this incarnation of Superman, and in particular the way it's portrayed by Henry Cavill, is my favorite incarnation of Superman we've ever had. I think he's great. I think he's a great Superman. He's not a Superman from the 1950s and 60s. He's a Superman of modern era and in our modern culture. And I think he's played it great. So yes, I very badly want to see a sequel. I haven't heard anything about Matthew Vaughn. I have a feeling he's not on anymore, but let's cross our fingers and wait and see. All right, let's move on to the next question. And the next question comes to us from Brian Cruz, who writes... Dunkirk's runtime was just officially revealed to be only 107 minutes. Does that sound way too short for a war movie and a Nolan movie? I was thinking two and a half hours at least. Well, to be honest with you, I haven't read that report yet. I, maybe if I just looked it up, I could find it easy enough. But let's go on the assumption that you're correct. And the runtime for Dunkirk, which I have not seen yet, is only 107 minutes long. That's neither good nor bad. I mean, look, we don't know the story yet. We don't know the movie. If Christopher Nolan thinks 107 minutes is the right length for this particular movie, then that's what you do. You don't go into a movie thinking, I'm going to make this three hours and then force the movie to be three hours. You don't go in and say, I'm Christopher Nolan. It's got to be two and a half hours and then force it to be two and a half hours. If he shot the movie and then started editing it together and realized, you know what? This works best and this flows best and it functions best and it's going to get the message message across best if it's got this kind of pacing and the movie comes in at, you know, 17 minutes over an hour and a half. If that's what he thinks, then let's give him the benefit of the doubt. The runtime, the, the movie shouldn't serve a runtime. The runtime should serve the movie. I think a lot of movies should be 90 minutes long especially comedies. I really think comedy should be 90 minutes long. They should have that kind of movement and that kind of pace. Uh, I believe most movies shouldn't be any longer than two hours. But once in a while, you get a movie that's like, no, 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 to tell this story properly, it's really got to be two and a half hours, two and, two and a half plus hours, whatever. That's fine too. The point is, the runtime should serve the movie and should serve the story. You don't make your movie or write your story to serve a particular runtime you want to nail. So, hey, if Christopher Nolan thinks 107 minutes is the right runtime for this thing, then who am I to disagree with Christopher Nolan? You do your thing, Chris. All right. Thanks a lot for the question, man. Next question comes to us from Bomb Squad, who writes, Hey, John, with San Diego Comic-Con just around the corner, do you think that Marvel will drop any Infinity War footage? Last year, all the chatter was about DC with Justice League and Wonder Woman. Does Marvel drop Infinity War, Thor, or Black Panther? Well, <clears throat> there's no guarantee they'll drop anything. But I would think if they're going to really drop something, the thing you drop, if you want to make a splash, is Infinity War. Because Thor Ragnarok 
has already got its marketing campaign moving and going. Like anything you show us in a new Thor Ragnarok trailer is just another day because we've already had a number of Thor Ragnarok trailers. They've already got the marketing moving forward for it. So if we get to San Diego Comic-Con and they just drop another Thor trailer, then it's just another Thor trailer, no matter how good it is. I would kind of say it's not as much the case, but I would almost say the same thing for Black Panther. I mean, yes, it would be cool if they showed us a new trailer or new footage from Black Panther or a new trailer or new footage from Thor, but these are both projects that already have their marketing in progress. So to make a big splash at San Diego Comic-Con, if you're Marvel, I'm thinking you want to come out with something that people have not seen yet. And that would be Infinity War. And they started shooting Infinity War a long time ago. Look, they've got a lot of footage. I suspect we won't get an official trailer. I mean, maybe we will. My suspicion at this point, though, is that we're going to get something more akin to a really good, beefy, behind-the-scenes video. A really good sizzle, if you will, that they'll play. That'll be a mixture of footage and candid behind-the-scenes shots and all that kind of stuff. Marvel likes doing that kind of stuff. I've seen several of their presentations where they've played videos like that in lieu of like a significant trailer. So, yes, I do think Marvel will come in pretty with big guns out and want to, you know, knock it out with some Infinity War footage. And if they want to make a big splash, they're going to have to compete because I know Warner Brothers and DC are going to go into Comic-Con, I think, really full speed ahead with Justice League. I think they're going to push Justice League, Justice League, Justice League, and a bit of Aquaman too, since Aquaman's already in production. I think they're going to push some Aquaman as well, but I think you're going to see a laser focus. I don't think you're going to hear them talk too much about Gotham City Sirens. I don't think you're going to hear them talk too much about any of the other standalone projects. I really think you're going to see from DC a laser focus on Justice League and really getting the buzz going for that. I mean, I could be wrong. They could bring, you know, they could come out and do, hey, here's our slate of the next 12 movies. They might do that. Absolutely, they could. But I'm feeling like the right move for Warner Brothers right now is to go in laser focus. Justice League. That's the message. The message is Justice League. How Justice League is going to be awesome. The message is how we're following up on the big success of Wonder Woman. And now we've got Justice League and blah, blah, blah. And if I'm them, I'm keeping a laser target focus on that message. And if they do that, you're going to see Justice League be the big splash of Comic-Con. So let's just kind of wait and see how that all turns out. All right. And the final question today comes to us from Thomas Stimson, who writes... Hello, John. My name is Thomas, and I was wondering what your feelings are on The Wire. I heard Josh McCuga say that you had started watching it a while ago. I believe it's the best show ever made, and the people I know who have seen it all agree. How would you compare it to Breaking Bad? Well, I, I, I don't know why I would compare it to Breaking Bad. They're two completely different shows. Uh, I'll do a comparison if you want in a second. Yes, The Wire is one of the shows that I hadn't seen. And it's one of those shows that for a long time, I really meant to get around to binge watching because I also have another number of friends who like really consider The Wire like the greatest show ever made. So uh, I believe it's five seasons. I binge watched all five seasons in about two weeks and I watched all the episodes of The Wire. And I'm going to say this. I liked The Wire. I thought it was a very good show. I, I, honestly, I didn't see the greatest show ever made. Uh, when I watched it. I mean, that that wasn't my experience with it. It's a very good, it's a very solid show. And as a matter of fact, this is probably the biggest compliment I can give it. Watching The Wire, you can totally see how a lot of modern shows 
have borrowed from The Wire or have been influenced by The Wire. Like whether you're talking about Game of Thrones, especially. Like, see, I know that sounds really weird. What does The Wire and the Game of Thrones have to do with each other? Watch both of those shows. And don't pretend like you don't see this, the similarities in the storytelling style and their, how they use characters and how they break up their narrative. I, I think Game of Thrones has been heavily influenced by The Wire. I think there's been a lot of shows that have been heavily influenced by The Wire. It's kind of like The Godfather. I love it when people who have never seen The Godfather watch The Godfather for the first time. And then all of a sudden a light bulb goes on. It's like, Holy crap, like every movie made for the past 30 years has been completely influenced by The Godfather. And you see it once you see The Godfather. And the biggest takeaway I had from watching The Wire was that, yeah, oh my God, it's amazing how much modern television has been influenced by this one show. The one thing I would compare uh, The Wire to Breaking Bad is, is that Breaking Bad really focused on the characters we cared about. Breaking Bad... I mean, it was about Walter, you know, and, and it was about the, the three or four really close people around him and how they are directly affected by everything. And the focus of the story stayed on them. You know, we didn't go entire seasons without Jesse. We didn't go entire seasons without Walter. We didn't like they, they really knew this is what the people are here for. They're here for Walter and Jesse and, you know, the, a couple of key surrounding characters as well but they kept the focus there. The one thing that frustrated me a little bit about The Wire, and it's also something that frustrates me a little bit about Game of Thrones too, and I love Game of Thrones, but this is one of the things that frustrates me is that we have our favorite characters, but then you can go entire episodes and sometimes entire seasons without that character being there at all. Like there are so many characters in The Wire, like McNulty, if you watch the the pilot for the show, the first episode of season one, you think this show is going to be about McNulty. And then there's basically entire seasons where McNulty like pops his face in once in a while just to remind you that he's in the show, but he's not there at all. And, and sometimes it lacked a really clear focus. And sometimes I really like that on my television. But anyway, I enjoyed The Wire very much. Like I said, I, I finished all five seasons, went all the way through. Uh, I didn't think, you know, the whole Marlowe angle they went. I never got into the Marlowe stuff at all. I was really more about Avery, but anyway. And string, but uh, I liked it very much. But no, I wouldn't. Honestly, I wouldn't put the wire in my top five. Uh, I'm not even sure I put the wire in my top ten. Eh, yeah, no, I wouldn't put the wire in my top ten favorite shows. It's very good, solid show. I enjoy it. If you're looking for a thumbs up or thumbs down for me about the wire, I give it thumbs up absolutely. But uh, yeah, I just didn't see the hype that most other people did. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for this installment of the John Campia podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, listen, guys, do me a favor. Don't forget, if you're listening to this podcast, make sure you use your favorite podcasting app and subscribe to the John Campia podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, do me a favor. Take a second and subscribe to my YouTube channel. And of course, make sure you're following me on Twitter at John Campia. That'll do it for me, guys. Thanks a lot for joining me. And until next time, bye-bye. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.